This is Think Retail, a podcast where top designers, strategists, thought leaders, and business people discuss what's coming next. Every retail brand on the planet is talking about consumer data, and it's been pitched as the magical key to personalization, which in turn promises greater loyalty and repeat purchases. Having Amazon prompt you to repurchase an item like toilet paper might seem innocuous and maybe even helpful. However, the line between personalized and downright creepy is one that brands need to pay closer attention to, especially as laws in Europe and Canada are beginning to protect consumer data. Today, we speak to Jeff Hirsch, founder and president of the Right Brain Studio and professor at the University of Southern California. Instead of waiting for legislation, Jeff believes there are some really big reasons that brands should be thinking more critically about this issue right now. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you for being with us. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and about Right Brain Studio? Sure. Um, Well, I live in Los Angeles. I I grew up in New York. I went off to college to uh, first study acting, and then when I realized I had absolutely no proclivity for it, I uh, (laughs) switched into the film department, and I studied film criticism history, which sparked a great interest for me in in popular culture, and uh, it kind of led me to a graduate program still at Northwestern in advertising, and I uh, went back home after finishing my graduate studies and started a job in a, in a New York ad agency. And I've been in the marketing business ever since. But um, after leaving uh, the ad agency industry, uh, I started my own business. Um, I was working in brand management and account management. I worked on the client side as well uh, for a little while early in my career. But I always saw myself as a creative person but I didn't necessarily want to be a copywriter. I, I believe that the creativity should go earlier, should, should be present earlier in the process. And um, that's when I started, you know, what became the Right Brain Studio, my business now, where we try to apply that creativity to strategic issues very, very early on in the pipeline. So what we do is uh, marketing insights and strategy uh, focused really only on qualitative research, the the touchy-feely stuff that I really love. Highly appropriate because we're talking about data today, right? (laughs) Yeah. So we we, we actually don't really deal with data a lot. We we deal with uh, talking to people either in groups or individually. so we do that in, in research settings. We do that in people's homes. We shop with them. We, we do all the typical kinds of qualitative research. Um, but I like to say what we really do uh, is offer something more consultative. Uh, we really get more into the, the strategy and innovation kind of aspects of marketing through talking to consumers and what I'd like to say is, is our real job is to uncover consumer emotions that help connect our consumers, our customers to, to brands and, and help our clients shape stories that they should be telling people or their communications. 
You've had quite, that's quite an interesting career path to go from um, acting to where you are today. Um, so if you, if, if it's all about the consumer connection and emotions and really, it sounds like a lot of really one-on-one or, or at least face-to-face interaction with consumers, tell me, you know, what got you thinking about data collection and geofencing and personalization in a sort of automated way of uh, relating to consumers? Um, it's an interesting question, and and because uh, I probably did start thinking about this more as a consumer than a marketer, yeah. And it's kind of just interesting about what we do because uh, I, I know we're not supposed to personalize these experiences because it's not about us; it's about our consumers who are very different from us. But I think a lot of the times in our business, these insights start with something that happens to you personally. And I, I just remember years ago um, when I, I, I practice yoga and I needed a new yoga mat and I went online and I found one that I liked and I ordered it. And the next day for the next several months, I kept seeing yoga ads pop up on my <laughs> browser. Right. And you know, this is really early on. This is before, uh, you know, I was really thinking about retargeting and you know, all those kinds of issues. I, was, I wasn't that aware of them. I said, this is interesting. I'm, I'm like a, you know, an older white male uh, who, who is probably not the target for a product like that. And, you know, gee, they, they know a lot about me, don't they? Just because I, I, I made, I, I did, I searched and I, and I made a purchase. Right. And of course, you know, that's prevalent now. Um, I, I talked to somebody the other day and I, I couldn't believe what she was saying. And I went online to kind of investigate it a little more. There, there are people out there that believe that our devices are listening to us. And I don't buy into this at all, but not just the Alexas of the world who might pick up conversation around your house. So, so it is, you know, we're, I know we're going to get into talking about this a little later, you know, it's like what, where, where is the line between something that really honestly helps me as a consumer can help the companies. I mean, we are capitalists, so we do want to help them sell things. Um, but where's the line where you're, privacy your personal privacy starts to be invaded and we see just a lot of a lot of instances of this now right um, so maybe if we talk about the you know yes we are we do want companies to do well we want our economy to be flourishing so what what benefits do you see to uh, you know, collecting consumer data and then using it to create uh, more relevant ads or to personalize an experience or to personalize or, or make or, or even just facilitate, you know, easy purchases like toilet paper that you need to make. Where do you see the benefit? Right. Well, I, you know, it, it seems to me um, that the benefits are largely on the side of the people selling things, not, not so much for the consumers. And I, I, I know, you know, the, the Holy grail in our business is the consumer is, is King and queen. Right. And, and we consumers always right. And, and everything we do is for the consumer. And if we serve the consumer better then our sales will go up, that's, that's the ideal way that capitalism is supposed to flourish. But it, it just doesn't seem, to me, um, and 
this is, I think, more of a personal view than, than, than based on, on data, but it, it just seems to me that the benefits to the companies really outweigh the benefits to the consumer. For instance, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this. Uh, McDonald's just bought a big technology company out of Israel uh, to offer, you know, what they're calling customization at the consumer at at, at uh, the points where people can order digitally, whether that's you know drive-in or they now have digital kiosks and some of their units where you can order. Um, I don't really need somebody as a consumer to say, gee, it's a hot day. Why don't you have an ice cream cone? I, right. I, I think I know when I want an ice cream cone and when I don't. I also know when I'm out of toilet paper. I mean, you know, you, you really do know, right? <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, have, ha having some kind of device in my home that alerts someone that you're running out other than just kind of looking, that that's a little scary to me. So I, you know, obviously there are, there are huge benefits to this and uh, you know, they, they could benefit the consumers, but they're, they're really there more to benefit the, 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 the sellers, I believe. Right. So, I mean, we are, we're having a, a bit of a controversy here in Canada right now, as I'm sure you probably are seeing as well, where you are about self-checkouts, where there are people who really hate them and there are people who really like them. Um, and maybe in some, in some, play, in some types of, of industries, it might work better, but there's a big push for it in grocery stores. And, you know, I, if you've got maybe two things, maybe it's okay. If you've got a big cart or if you're elderly or you have some sort of more mobility issue, um, then it starts to become more challenging to see the benefit to the consumer for sure. Um, so if we go, if we, uh, we go back to, we, we talked about this a little bit, um, where do you think consumers will will draw that line? I mean, you have a very clear idea of what you think is is you know creepy. It knows that I'm out of toilet paper. That's creepy. But there are some people that I've spoken to, even personally, especially a lot of moms, who are like, you know, it's great. The toilet paper just gets delivered every every week. I don't even have to think about it. I don't even have to order it. I don't even have to ask for it. It just shows up and it's there. Um, where do you think consumers maybe as a whole uh, uh, in North America are drawing that line? Right. Um, I mean, that's a really great question. But before we, before I answer that, I want to get back to what you were just talking about with the self-checkout. Mm -hmm. And I, I think this will inform actually a lot of our discussion. So it seems to me that a lot of this could be generational as well, right? So, you know, you talked about the elderly maybe not being able to, you know, unload their carts and, you know, put the watermelon on the self-checkout counter or whatever, bag their own groceries, things like that. Um, it, it's, it's more than kind of physical. It, it's, it's really attitudinal and an expectation of service when you go to retail. So um, I know, you know, I, I'm, I'm not quite elderly, but <laughs> uh, I, I am in the boomer generation. And I, I know for, for me, I would rather be taken care of when I go into a restaurant, even a fast food place. So there's a place that you're probably aware of called Witch Witch. Mm -hmm. I, don't know, I don't know if they're up in, in Canada, but they, they put one in uh, Studio City where I live here in California. And uh, my, my son wanted to go there. My son is in his 20s. 
And the format is, if you're not familiar with it, you, um, you get a marker and, and a pad and you basically check off what you want in your sandwich and then you hand it to somebody and then you pick up your sandwich later. And uh, I went in there once, exactly once. The, the, the food was okay, it was mediocre kind of like subpar quality, uh, subpar subway kind of kind of stuff. And I don't want to go into a, even a fast food place and fill out forms. I don't want to do it. So I, I never went again. Right. But they subsequently, th this unit's gone out of business, by the way. Uh, uh, but I, I, I think that, um, you know, younger people want to, or, or are more open to doing things um, without, without another human being present, you know, they, they grew up on apps and they, they grew up with their phones and they're used to clicking on things. And I know I did a big study, a qualitative project for a, uh, a, uh, company in the business of, uh, filling prescriptions. And, uh, we were, we were talking about prescriptions, uh, people picking them in the stores versus getting the mail order in the company, obviously for efficiency purposes, just wanted to people, more people to sign up for, uh, for mail delivery of their regular prescriptions. And we talked to kind of two segments of consumers that I like to call old people and very, very old people. And uh, the old people being 45 to 60 and, and then people 60 to 80. And it was interesting, the, the older people did not want to order by computer. They did not want to even pick up the phone. They want to go to the pharmacy. It's something for them to do. There's trust involved. They talk to a person. They can ask the pharmacist about any problems with the medications or cross reactions. They can, uh, that, that they have a relationship with the pharmacist. The, the younger people and the younger people here being old, uh, you know, over 40, couldn't care less. They, they just, they just want to click. They want to click and order. So I think a lot of this could have to do with uh, how we grew up. Right. And, and I, right. And yet on the other hand, there's a huge surgence of um, young people and by young people meaning very young people who really want, uh, they want to actually engage with other people, just maybe not in the same way. So, so I mean, there hasn't been, at least not in America, there hasn't been a huge big um, ups, you know, upsurgence. We don't want you collecting our data. That hasn't quite happened yet. It hasn't really happened in Canada either. There's people are talking about it. People are a little concerned about it. There's maybe some laws being passed about it, but right. companies are still collecting a lot of data. Yeah. What yeah, do you what do you think it's going to take for consumers to start saying, hey, wait a minute, I don't think I want you having this information about me? Well, I, um, the, I, I don't know. I mean, we, we, we just saw, uh, you know, not, not very long ago, we saw in, the, in this country, in the United States, we saw Facebook was selling our information to kind of an unauthorized third party who then used that to try to influence our election. And maybe they did influence our election. We'll never know. Right. But Facebook got busted for it. It was very, very controversial. 
they've reacted. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg has come out saying, you know, we're not, we're not going to focus on more, you know, private types of communication, whatever that is. Uh, so this kind of had an effect, but from the consumer end, I mean, that, that, that's probably more a reaction to potential government regulation than anything else, because I, I, I took a look yesterday, um, on, on, uh, on, on subscription information for Facebook. And, you know, we have not seen, this is what I suspected and it was true, we have not seen mass deletions of, of Facebook because consumers were afraid that their data was being used for terrible purposes or right. you know, their privacy was invaded. In fact, there, so, so worldwide, there are 2.32 billion monthly active users that was as of December 31st, 2018. That was a 9% increase over Facebook users the year before. That's all over the world. So, you know, I don't know what's going to have to happen for, for people to be concerned. I, I think that it's, I, I, was, I was thinking about this yesterday in anticipation of talking to you, and, and I was thinking that we, we realize, I mean, on one level or another as consumers, we all realize that everybody knows everything about us. I don't think there's any way around that. I mean, it's just out there. Um, you know, going back to my example of the yoga mat, um, they know what I'm clicking on. Mm-hmm. And this, this is supposed to be metadata. It's not supposed to be, you know, we can't get down to the individual. We just kind of, you know, know the data patterns and we know to, to send out the message. But, we, you know, they don't know they're sending it to Jeff. They know it's, it's, it's based on some kind of algorithm, supposedly. And, and they don't really know what all of us as individuals are doing. But I, that, that can't be true. Um, and maybe that's my own paranoia. But it would seem to me that everybody knows that everything is out there and maybe that's just something that we accept but the thing of it is it's it's kind of abstract it's not really in our face right we kind of know that someone out there knows all these things about us but again it's not really direct it's not in your face it's not um you know, walking into a store and somebody saying, oh, hello, Mr. Hirsch, we understand your, you know, your, your credit score is, uh, you know, 797, which qualifies you for this much credit with us. And we know that you like blue. So let's show, you know, let, let me show you the blue items over here. That would be a little scary because that's not abstract. That's, yeah. that's right in your face. And that could be scary. So if you've got a client that comes into the Right Brain Studio and says, you know, like your pharmacist um, uh, company, that they're thinking about how to use consumer data, how to collect it, how to use it, how to store it. If you're trying to get them to think from a customer-centric perspective, what what tactic would you take with them or what, what journey would you take them on to explore that as a possibility and make sure that it actually helps the consumer as opposed to just helping the company? Right. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it, it always has to be from the consumer's pers- perspective. I always talk about how empathy is is the most important quality of a marketer, and just all everything that we're talking about here 
doesn't really feel empathetic. In fact, when you talk about data, it doesn't sound very empathetic, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's about numbers and and uh, and, and, and statistics, um, and, and 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 it's not really about feelings. So, you know, we as I said earlier we get involved in all the touchy feely stuff where, you know, what I, what I do professionally is not, that, that has nothing to do with, with data collection or quantitative, you know, big data, statistical kinds of issues. But your question was from a consumer perspective and, and, and I would really question whether I, I, I'd encourage them to look at the trade off between the data they can collect, which is certainly beneficial, you know, like, like take McDonald's, right? They're gonna collect a lot of data through, through this, this new company they acquired. Mm -hmm. um, but is it, what happens on the consumer end? Is this going to alienate consumers that they now have to order on a touch screen and they're gonna get, you know, instead of the person saying, would you like fries with that? They're going to have a machine saying, would you like fries with that? Um, you know, that, that's really the issue. When, when, when does it start? When does the benefit of the, the accrued data start really hurting both the purchase and the short term? You know, does it, does it alienate me in the short term? And what does that do to my brand in the long term? Because, you know, especially at retail, which, which, you know, I know you guys focus on a lot, um, there is a retail experience and that retail experience, I think ideally should be an experience. It should be sensory and uh, it, it should be tactile. And that's, that's the point. I mean, or else why, why bother going to the store? Right. Um, so once you cross that line, it's like, why would I ever go to McDonald's? I mean, it, it, it could be, you know, and, and just in my lifetime, I've seen these places go uh, from, you know, McDonald's was originally, I don't believe had a lot of, I don't think they had any drive-throughs, you know, when, when they started out. You you drove up and you sat in the parking lot and you ate in your car. Maybe they had a table or two, but I doubt it. It was usually just kind of a, a drive up kind of place. You went in, you ordered, and you sat in your car. Then they went to drive-throughs. I mean, the pizza places, the Pizza Hut. Uh, I've worked on this with Shikatani Lacroix, actually, with Pizza Huts. We've, we've done dine-in revitalization projects, but there's very little dine-in left with Pizza Hut. It's just all delivery and takeout now. So will it get to a point in all retail, including food, where there are automated cars, there are, there are Ubers, driverless Ubers, and um, and I never go to a, you know why should I go to a McDonald's I can I can call Uber and or, or whoever and they can just deliver it so hey. if we do away with that experience you know I'm, I'm exaggerating obviously but if we do away with that experience entirely I mean what's left what what is there right well thanks so much for being with us and for sharing your thoughts on this it's been really really interesting my pleasure thank you. I think Jeff's right that there is a generational aspect to this issue, but there's another more important thing he said that's an overriding truth for any demographic, that empathy is the most important quality of a marketer. How can brands be empathetic when it comes to consumer data? Here are our tips. First, 
Brands need to evaluate what it means to be consumer-centric in their entire customer journey. Mapping out the journey using precise consumer personas is a good way to get inside the customer's mind and find out what matters to them. If you don't offer a better experience, one that matters to the consumer, why should they share their information with you? Another key tip is to ensure that you're offering consumers benefits in return for their data. The easiest way to do this is to link data to a rewards program. And the rewards need to be meaningful enough to the consumer that they will be happy to share their information. A third important factor is to be careful about how you use their data, thinking through a future-proofing lens. Consumers are becoming more concerned about privacy breaches and with good reason. Be transparent and be careful. The lasting effects of improperly secured data can be potentially devastating. A short-term benefit is tempting, but if it's not in the consumer's best interest, you may pay big later on. Another issue that will come into play is greater regulation. If you're going to make a big investment in the collection of consumer data, make sure you understand the potential future requirements to ensure you don't end up with a system that's difficult to use later on. Let us know how you're handling this contentious new issue and whether or not you lie when you're asked for your information. I do. For more information about Think Retail, you can reach us at info at sld.com. For more episodes, visit us online at sld.com slash podcast. Next time, we discuss how restaurateurs and food service brands can deliver the ideal customer journey. We hope you'll join us.